friends. Uncle Marv here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast, the show for IT professionals, where we try to help you do your job, run your business, support your clients better, smarter, and faster. We are back with part two of our discussion with Karen Nab, the executive leadership coach, who is done a pretty good job of showing us the four styles of leadership and explaining to us the two parts of our brain that help us think or help us fight or flight. And of course, put me into a tailspin as to where I fall in that spectrum. So we are back. I've done my homework and Karen, I'm ready for the show. How about you? I'm ready too. Great to be back. Okay. So we should probably start by just doing a quick recap because sometimes people listen to podcasts out of order. And so I'm going to say, folks, if you are here and you did not hear the first one, go back, have a listen. I don't know what the number is or the title is right now because I haven't published it yet, but you'll know this is part two and that's part one. So go back and grab that. And uh, Karen is a leadership coach. She's been doing this for a couple of years. Her website, KarenNab.com, is a place where you can go and find out all you need to know about how to become a better leader and deal with conflict inside your business. I will have links in the notes for the show, not only for her site, but where you can get uh, a complimentary discovery call with her and find out how much you need her help. So so let's go back real quick and talk about where we were. So four styles of leadership, and they all seem pretty simple on the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you want to re- recap those? So I'll start with a list, and then I can add a little bit of another dimension to okay. help listeners understand them and make them more relevant. So the list, again, is aggressive, passive. Passive, aggressive, and assertive. Those are the four styles. And we can think of these in another way as well, using the dimensions of, I'm going to say like honesty versus dishonesty, and also kind or respectful versus unkind or disrespectful. So if we go back through the list again and we think about aggressive, in this case, somebody who's aggressive, they're giving you feedback. They're giving you probably heavier feedback, criticism even, which could in some ways be true, right? So they're right. being honest with you, but they're often doing it in a way that's quite unkind or possibly even disrespectful, right? So they're being harsh with their words. Combative? Combative, absolutely, okay. right? They're they're not they're doing it cuz they want to do it, not because they're delivering in a way the best way for you to hear it. Okay. Right? So that's that's what we're going to have there. The passive style, you know, their goal is to be seen as kind. They want people to think that they're nice, but they also don't, they don't, they're not just, they're not honest, right? They're sort of, we call it lying by omission. They leave things out where they won't tell you how they're feeling about a certain issue or they won't give their feedback or they won't say something bothers them. So they're essentially lying by omission and that's going to make it harder for them to have authentic relationships in the workplace as well and harder for people to trust them. The passive-aggressive style is, you know, we talked about them using a lot of sarcasm or gossip um, and also being kind of hard to read, giving you mixed messages. So they're being dishonest and unkind, 
So they're both. They're, they're the trickiest one, in my opinion, because you really don't know where you stand. And they're not very nice while they're doing it. They're, and then the last one. Oh, they're, they're mean with a smile. Yes. Right. That's exactly it. Okay. Right? That's that mixed message. They're showing you one thing on their face, but they're saying another thing behind your back. Right. Right. Okay. And then the fourth kind is assertive. And this is where somebody's actually being truthful with you. They're giving you honest feedback, but they're doing it in a kind way, in a respectful way. They really want you to hear it. They want to help you. Um, they don't have an ulterior motive. Their ego isn't at play. So none of that's going on. So if we can be assertive, we have the best chance of other people hearing what we're saying. And, and, and that's actually what good communication really is, is I'm saying something really clearly. The other person's getting pretty much exactly what I'm saying. It's not getting twisted. It's not getting, you know, sort of, it's, it's not being misinterpreted. And that's what enables us to have conversations back and forth with one another. So, you know, I'm going to say that some people can't really receive any type of feedback, no matter how much you try. And that's, it's not a reason to not do it, but it, that's not your fault. I mean, we can't control how other people receive us. Um, and that's going to happen at times, even if you're doing your best and being assertive. But also to remember that if someone's being assertive with you, to thank them. Right. To sort of say like, yeah, I appreciate you coming to me directly um, and appreciating that they didn't go behind your back or they didn't ignore an issue that maybe maybe they could have helped you instead. So, well, let me ask this. So I I get the mindset that we always want to try to be assertive in a good and positive way. We want to be able to provide guidance, provide feedback. But what if we. Well, first, let me go back and, and, and ask this first and before I ask the part two. And I don't think this was in our notes. <laughs> but what are some things that we can do to always make sure that we're operating in that assertive mindset, at least from our – I'm trying to think of the right word our, – our outset, our – you know, putting our best foot forward, regardless of where we're starting, how do we always make sure we try to end up in that assertive role? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's so great. Um, so the first thing is we need to be in the right head space, right? Or the right brain space. We talked about the brain chemistry last time and how when we're really upset or activated or triggered, we're in our amygdala and our prefrontal cortex isn't working. So the first thing is to be able to be pretty calm which allows us to be able to think clearly and be rational and reasonable and problem solve. So um, if you had a conflict with somebody and you, you know, talking about it in that moment is probably not actually the best time to talk about it. You really want to talk about it after it's over and after you've had time to settle down and hopefully before the next incident might occur. Right. Right? So that in between space is a really good time to talk about these things when you're calmer. Um, also if you are in the middle of a conflict and you can't really take a bunch of time to, to settle down and you can give yourself kind of a mini timeout where maybe you take a walk or go to the bathroom or even taking some deep breaths can help your amygdala settle just a little bit, maybe enough to give you a better chance of saying things that are more reasonable or more thought out as opposed to, you know, something that you might regret or, you know, defensive, right? Okay. So all those things they tell us 
you know, don't make a decision when you're angry. Don't do something while you're emotional. Count to 10 before you respond. Mm. Uh, all of those things are kind of settling the amid- amygdala. <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. Just no, my mind. Right. So letting that settle down, getting back into the prefrontal uh, cortex mode, and mm-hmm. then having the conversation or making the decision. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now where I was trying to go with my original question before mm-hmm. I said, let me, let me step back and set this up, is what if we know that we're in that assertive role mm-hmm. and the person that we are communicating with is responding in a aggressive or passive aggressive way and is – you know, we're just not getting through. We know we're not getting through mm-hmm. and we can see why we're not getting through. Mm-hmm. What do we do? So again, that same, that same advice holds true here too, right? The other person can't actually come from a rational, reasonable place if they're too upset. So at that point, there's really no point in continuing the conversation at that moment. So what you can do is say, you know what, let's table this or let's just take a time out and let's come back to it, you know, Later today, tomorrow, pick another time to revisit the conversation. And that'll really help uh, people to really take take their own. If they don't know to take a timeout for themselves, you can call a timeout and say, look, like I don't want this to escalate. I don't want this to, you know, we don't need to be talking like this. Let's just do what we can to, set, you know, think this through and come back together in a different time and place. Okay. And that technique helps immensely. Uh, most people are usually okay with doing that if you do it in a in a nice way um and they don't even realize that it's going to be helpful to them but they will realize it when they come back later and hopefully have a different approach all right so good so we've identified the four styles um what are we we've talked about what we can do to stay assertive or or to to be in that assertive mindset um what if we find ourselves reverting back into one of Mm. the other roles Mm mm-hmm so that's a, that's an, a, again, you have to, you have to be checking in with yourself. You can't just be unconsciously going into a conversation that you know is going to be tough. You really want to check in with yourself and think, how, how do I want to frame this? What, what is actually my issue? Um, and, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about that, that like having a framework okay. for being able to talk assertively. So that's, you know, the original title of our talk was the art and science of communication. And this framework is really, I think, both of those things in one. So I'm going to give you a framework. But if you use it word for word, you're going to sound like a robot. So, <laughs> okay. so we don't want to do that. But that, that there is some science to it. There is a formula in terms of using these four steps. But you have to kind of work with it, practice it, use your own language, use the way that you would talk and sort of, you know, Maybe make it sound more like you. Okay. But the, we're going to go through these four steps and that'll be the framework and that'll help immensely. So the first thing that whenever you have a conflict with someone at a very basic level is you want to think first about, you know, what's bothering you? Number one, what's actually the action or behavior that occurred? So for example, I was feeling fine and then something happened, right? And now I'm not feeling fine. So what is that thing that happened? I had a, conversation. I got a phone call. I got an email. I heard some bad news, right? I mean, there's a thing that happened that changes. And so that's, you want to identify, you know, 
what what the thing is first. And some people, that's hard enough, right? Like I don't even, you know, some people say, I don't know why I was upset all day. And then we track it back and they can actually identify it when we take some time with it. The second part is, so why exactly is it bothering you, right? What's the feeling that you're having because of it? So when this person did this, I felt annoyed, frustrated, disappointed, worried. So those are feeling words. It's not really, I feel like that person's a jerk. (laughs) We don't want to use it in that context. But I feel a feeling myself. And so we can have a wide range of feelings. Something, like I said, anger could be something as small as, you know, I'm irritated by this. That's a a form of anger to uh, enraged. So, and all sorts of things in between. So we want to kind of think about, okay, what are the things that are, what, how is it, why is this bothering me? What emotion is coming up for me? That's not a, that's not the same as when you're talking about conflict resolution with another person. That's not the same as, well, when you do this, I feel this. It's, it's not exactly the same, is it? Or is it? That is a, that's a simpler version of it, actually. And okay. that's, those are the first two pieces of this. So that's another way of looking at it, another okay. formula to use. You know, it's like the action and then the feeling. Those are the same, that's the same thing I'm talking about. So yeah, you know. Mm, the third thing is what do you want to happen instead? Or what's the outcome you expect here? So what would you rather have happen? And this is also known as a boundary, right? People talk about boundaries, but sometimes we don't always know what they are. And this is a tough, this is tough. You know, you got to think about what do I, what would I rather have happen? And this, this is often enough to send people, you know, this is exhausting coming up with like, what are, why are all these things bothering me? It is a lot of work at first. So don't feel discouraged if this sounds like a lot of work. Well, we can't stop there. There's another one. There's one more. And that is the question of what will you do if nothing changes? Or how am I willing to help the situation change? What can I contribute to making this better? And so, for example, if we take a really simple example for many, you know, most business owners, they might say, you know, I have a vendor who's continuously late in paying me, right? I mean, that's a common issue for people. So if we go through these steps, let's think about how we could approach that. So the first thing, what's the problem? Well, I just said it. You know, the vendor's late. The second thing, how does it affect me and how does it make me feel? Uh, pretty frustrated, right? Maybe a little worried too if I don't, you know, if I don't have my my checks coming in. Um, what do I want to happen? Well, obviously I want them to pay on time, right? I expect you to pay on time. Yeah. And then the fourth is what will I do if nothing changes? How can I help the situation? Well, I'm going to send you a reminder, you know, a couple days out couple days ahead of time to make sure that it's easier for you to remember. That's how I can help the situation be better on my end. I can't do more than that. It's not my job to pay myself. It's your job to pay me. But I can either offer a reminder at the time or I can remind you at the day of, or I can send a, add a late fee on top of it. And that's a consequence that I could impart to someone else. But there, there's a number of different consequences right. depending on the situation. But and it's as simple as that. So sending a quick email, making a quick phone call with those things. Hey, I noticed you were late again. That's super frustrating on my end because I'm trying to reconcile my books. I really would appreciate it if you could pay on time. And, you know, I'm going to send you a reminder and and still a late fee because that hasn't happened yet. 
that's a very assertive response to a conflict, to a potential, could be a, a bigger issue if you didn't address it right away. So these are all questions that we, in a sense, should be asking ourselves. Because yeah. to me, so you said the word vendor. I'm going to mm-hmm. substitute that with the word customer or client. Okay. Because that's the conversation that comes up for us as IT professionals a lot. Customers mm-hmm. don't pay on time. Okay. Um, sometimes we call them slow pay, where they'll just pay us whenever they want to because they don't see IT as a priority. Mm. Um, so that comes up a lot. And, of course, the issue for uh, those that are managed service providers where – They've taken the road of everything gets paid up front. And if you don't pay, we, t- we cut off services, which is troublesome because sometimes services could include their email. And if we cut off email, they can't communicate. So there's a big whole circle that goes around that. But that's, that's exactly the type of scenario where a lot of IT business owners probably don't even get to go through these questions themselves. They just – let it sit. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'll just maybe they'll pay on time next month, mm. mm-hmm. or maybe they'll pay twice to catch up for the month they missed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that situation, they're probably looking at we've already gone through all the steps. Now, how do we get to a new resolution? It's probably not probably not the way you wanted me to ask that question. Well, so you're saying that they already approached the person assertively? So in most situations, things are automated. So you can send out an invoice. There's an automatic reminder. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're using the proper accounting tool, it's going to add the late fee after X number of days. Mm -hmm. So there's no real interaction with the customer in my situation, I have somebody where I can say, hey, can you call them and check in? Mm-hmm. And then we do have that. I know other offices, they, they either don't have that or don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is how do, you, how do you go through these steps when you're not actually talking to somebody? Right. Well, you know, I think one thing that comes to mind is setting, it, setting up the whole relationship a little bit differently from the get-go. Right. And setting it up where who's my contact? What what day of the month do you pay invoices? Right. Like getting some clarity around or how does this work? Right. How, how long do I have to wait? So that can help to alleviate some of this problem that this example that we're talking about. But, you know, at the end of the day, you really do have to end up talking to somebody. And the good news is, is that when you let people know that you're not just going to let it pass you by and they're going to get a phone call or a bunch of phone calls. And, you know, people start to recognize like, oh, we don't want to mess with this person. Right. <laughs> like they're actually going to come at us and they're they're actually going to ask us. If we're going to forget somebody's invoice, it's not going to be theirs. Right. Right. So you start to teach people how to treat you when you start being more assertive. And that's for the long haul. That's actually a better strategy to teach people like, hey, I'm not going to sit back, you know, with new cu- customers if they do it once. Okay, but if they do it twice, hey, I'm calling you right away. Say, hey, this isn't how I do business. I'm not okay with this. What's going on? You know, so that for future invoices, you're not dealing with that over and over and over again every month. All right. Did I derail our conversation already? 
Oh, no, that's great. <laughs> that, that, I love these questions. I love these scenarios because they, this is what really people are going through. I want to I wanna address those real-time problems. All right. Okay. So that kind of is our uh, formula or template, I guess, to always try to balance where we are, and we always want to end up in assertive. Right. So let me ask this question. There are people that I know that want to be assertive. Mm-hmm. They want to be, in their minds, they see it as more aggressive because they know that they're a passive person mm-hmm. in general. Um, I'm trying to figure out a best way to ask this question <laughs> because it <laughs> it really comes down to, in a sense, is it a myth when it comes to the fact that everybody can be assertive? I would say that's not a myth, that it's true. Everybody can be assertive. And that question, the way you were asking it, I, I think I know what you were asking, right? Which is, are people going to see me as aggressive if I'm if I'm usually passive and I'm trying to be assertive? Okay. That is absolutely 100% what people feel who come from a more passive place. They think that saying anything is a being aggressive. Gotcha. Right, because right. they're used to saying nothing. So it is a little bit. They have to build up their tolerance for speaking up for themselves and and setting boundaries and setting expectations. It doesn't mean they're being aggressive. It feels to them like they're being aggressive, but it doesn't come across that way to other people, for the most part. So I would encourage anybody who has that thought to just say, you know what, I need to start practicing speaking up here and there, little by little, and eventually I'll get I'll find that sweet spot where. And being assertive, you'll, you'll probably never cross that line, really. Okay. So you don't have to worry about that. But coaching can be really helpful with this to kind of understand, you know, what's too much and what's not enough. Like, where is that line? Because it right. is subtle. It's not an easy thing to find. Well, the reason I ask the question, because I, I can see people, if we're talking in a group and they say, hey, I've got this issue. And, and you know, there's a bunch of us saying, well, just do this. And they're like, oh, I can never do that. So it's mm-hmm. almost like they need a leadership boot camp to say, mm-hmm. not only can you, but you need to mm-hmm. be more assertive and and not think that it's an aggressive tone. And in some cases, I could see where an aggressive person might respect somebody that actually steps up. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we can't count on that. Right. I would say that, you know, my working with leaders, one of the things that comes up a lot is their how they grew up, right? How they grew up seeing conflict addressed. And oftentimes people who are passive had not great modeling for how to resolve conflict. So, you know, not to get too psychological, but, you know, if you never had any modeling for it, why would you expect that speaking up is really going to get you anywhere? It's just going to get you maybe another argument. So staying quiet (laughs) seems like the only, you know, it's a better option than getting into another argument. And to teach them that there is a third way, you know, that there is another approach, not either not staying silent versus not going overboard and causing more problems. There is a middle ground with this assertive style. That's, again, relief for people to know, oh, wow, I could actually try this. I've never thought about it. I never learned that I could do this. And it actually works. And so they start practicing it and they start getting results and their confidence just goes through the roof. 
And they're get, they get so excited knowing that, you know, wow, I can actually affect change around me and I can get the results that I want. I can teach people how to treat me better. I don't have to just tolerate, you know, other people's attitudes all the time. Like, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot. Who's going to be in a good mood today? It doesn't matter if you're assertive. You can decide how you want to be treated. All right. So that can be done. Uh, can you spot passive leadership in a group or organization? I, I can, although it is it is harder for a lot of employees to see it. Okay. So I think it's good that we're, you know, we can talk about this. Um, you know, passive leadership, generally it's when a, a leader hangs back and doesn't weigh in on important issues. Very similar to what we talked about, that passive style. One of the main uh, data points for a passive leader is that they don't offer their opinion, right? They don't share what they're thinking. They hang back. And that leaves people, you know, directionless and unclear about what we're doing. Um, so essentially they're under communicating their ideas or opinions. And so then it leaves their folks, their teams to manage themselves. Maybe those teams don't have the same ideas about how they're going to go forward. And so they start to start getting into some conflicts, right? About, you know, timelines and programming and, you know, the different approaches to things, to projects. Um, you might also see them procrastinating on decisions or not making them at all because they don't want to rock the boat or cause any conflict. So they'll avoid taking sides as to not upset one side or another. But again, somebody's got to make a decision on it. And, you know, the conflict ensues from there because maybe somebody else makes the decision that isn't totally, doesn't have all the facts. Whereas the leader has all the facts, but they're abdicating it. So, you know, they're, they're not willing to get in, into team conflicts, which of course perpetuates them. So there's lots of ways that being passive leads to conflict later on. So in the short term, the, some of the strategies they use do kind of keep things at bay, but in the long term, things get worse. So I was going to ask that as part of my homework. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because I can see scenarios where, and I'm not going to say this is me, <laughs> but if you want to ask, I'll answer. But we've been taught to some degree that sometimes it's best to not speak. That, you know, the wise person will hold their tongue. And that people that are out front may be seen as aggressive instead of assertive or let's put it in another perspective. You've got four alphas in a group and you know what? I'm not going to just, I'm not going to fight the other alphas. I'll just, I'll just let the other three go at it. And when they're ready to ask for my perspective, I'll give it. So, when it comes to that type of conflict, is that a good place to be where you're just letting all the other stuff happen? And then, because that's where I see being passive actually helping the situation as opposed to, you know, continually stirring it up with the other alphas. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I would, I would say the bigger, the, the first question to ask is how is your silence impacting you, 
right? Is, is if it's just a general issue that doesn't pertain to you, yeah, and you don't want to get in the middle of it and escalate things, you don't have to say anything about it because the issue doesn't apply to you. But if it does affect you and you do have an opinion about how you want to approach it or be part of it, that's a time where you should raise your hand and say, hey, guys, like, I got to weigh in on this. You know, this is actually not going to work for me or this is how it's going to work best for me. And, you know, I have... I have, I gotta have an opinion on this because this is, this is my business too. So I would say it depends on how the topic at hand is, is affecting you personally, whether or not you should speak up or not. Does that make sense? Well, it does. Mm-hmm. I was just asking for some backup. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. And, you know, to that, to that point, there's a, there's a couple best practices, right? If you are part of a group or a team or you are leading, that's a that's a great scenario, right? If I have a team of four people and I'm the leader, how do I how do I bring my assertive skills and and share them with everybody in this group and help people feel comfortable sharing? Well, I invite that. You know, I say, "Hey guys, here, here's a problem. If I was solving this on my own, here's what I would do. But I got three other minds in the room, so I'd like to hear from each of you how you would solve this problem. And then we'll take everybody's ideas and figure out the way forward." Right. That's an assertive, collaborative style within a group. So if that if you have the ability, if that's your group that you get to lead, that's a great way of getting everybody, getting everybody's ideas, having everyone feel included. Because, you know, there are leaders that will say, hey, I got three other people here, but this is what we're doing. And y'all better get on board. And, you know, people might agree in the short term, but in the long term, if that happens over and over and over again, those three other team members are starting to start to feel resentful. You know, it's always there. It's always his way or her way. We never get to to weigh in. And that breeds, you know, a lot of tension and stress in the work environment. Eventually people don't want to be, be in that and they might leave, you know, over time if that's the case. So being, trying to be collaborative, trying to come up with ideas that, you know, are listening to everybody's ideas. And then even like I said before, you know, this, third way idea of maybe, maybe it's people have one idea over here and another idea over here and it's a battle. And it, if we can come up with a third idea that maybe we can try out for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and then revisit it, people are much more amenable to trying things out for a, a temporary amount of time versus like, we're making this change forever and ever. All right. That's when you get a lot of pushback from folks. So that's another way to manage conflict differently in your, in your team. All right. Do you watch Star Trek? Mm, No, but (laughs) tell me, tell me. Well, the way that you were describing the, we've got a group here and let me hear everybody's opinion reminded me of Star Trek, the next generation, but it's only a good reference. If you watch Star Trek. Well, a lot of other listeners, I'm sure, watch it. So give it, give it to me. Well, my listeners know, and actually, they watch Star Trek and Star Wars, and then they yell at me for mixing them up. But in this case, oh, no kidding. <laughs> in this case, I know I'm right because <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard is captain of the Enterprise. Okay. And he has his meetings where, if there's a situation, he will literally say suggestions, mm. and everybody in the room is allowed to offer their suggestion. He makes the decision, and it might be one of the suggested 
results or it may be his own. Everybody accepts what he says and they go off and, and do it. Now, that's a utopia. That's the futuristic view of, you know what? The captain has decided the captain is right, regardless of whose position he took. And everybody's fine with it. But at the same time, if you have an objection, that too can be brought up as part of the discussion. It is noted and the decision is made. And it happens. Mm -hmm. Now, in our world, <laughs> that doesn't happen. Because no. I, have, I have been in a situation, like you said before, where I'm going to try to say this. There's probably four or five people listening to the show that will know exactly what I'm talking about. But most won't. But I was involved in a group where we invited a new person into the group to take over a portion of what we were doing. And that person took it upon themselves to take over everything. And there was actually a point in time where they asked us, what do you think about this? And suggestions were given Thoughts were given, and the phrase was, well, I've already decided this. And the group was like, well, if you already decided, why did you ask? And that started us down a terrible path. And it was those types of – so that's what I'm thinking of in my head of this type of leader that may be passive-aggressive while thinking they're being assertive. Because why ask us if you've already made the decision? Just tell us the decision and let's see if we can move on ourselves past that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great example. I'm sure so many people can relate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just needed to get that off my cats. Off my yeah. chest. <laughs> that, that wasn't a part of the homework. <laughs> um, okay. So where are we? I think as, we're at the homework. As you can tell, folks, we don't have notes. We're Unless just, you have... Something else. I think we're getting close to that. I was trying to think of another scenario that we could do because we've talked about, you mentioned vendor. Uh, I meant, I mentioned uh, customer or client. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the only other situation that would relate to the listeners, uh, maybe a subcontractor scenario. Mm -hmm. So there are times where we obviously will subcontract out work. And it'll be either another business or another technician. And we ask that technician to go out and do a job. The customer may ask them to do something else while they're on site because of, hey, while you're here. Um, and I know one of the ad advice that I always give to people is that, you know, what I do in my business is if there's a question, it needs to be directed back to me. The subcontractor is not to make that decision on their own in the field. And the customer is also directed to the fact that if we send somebody else, they're only there to do one job. So don't ask them to do something else unless you check in with us first. Uh, I have read and been parts of groups where we've had this discussion where what has happened to some of us is that the technician will take it upon themselves if they see something that they don't like or they get asked a question rather than coming back to us, they'll just take it upon themselves to do it. Mm 
And in their mind, they're being assertive. They're taking care of the customer because they want the customer to be happy. But in our minds, that's not the right way to be assertive. So then there becomes a conflict of the subcontractors like, well, you know, if they ask me to do it, I'm going to do it. And it's like, okay, that's – and then that, that aggressive tone comes out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to say this gently because if I'm in that situation, I'm like, it doesn't matter. My client, my rules. But trying to help <laughs> – trying to have other people, you know. But to handle that situation, I know that – I know that I haven't always handled it properly. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's a tough situation. Again, it's one of those alpha, alpha type deals mm-hmm. that um, you have to deal with. So I'm trying to figure out a way to ask you this and relate it back to the four leadership styles. Well, I can, I can just comment on some, okay. you know, some of the pieces of what you said, which is, you know, that's such a great example of how even, you know, being a business owner and I don't know how many people you employ directly or none, but if you're still the CEO, like you're still the leader, that you're still the top dog and that's your contract and you're hiring someone else to support you. So their loyalty needs to be to you because you're the one who's paying them. Right. And when people forget that or, you know, give you some excuse about why they, you know, they don't want to say no or whatever, they need to experience, I say natural consequences, right? The natural consequences, well, I told you to check with me. You didn't check with me. You're billing me for this extra work that I didn't authorize. Therefore, you need to eat it, right? Like you need, that's work that you did on your own time and I'm not liable to pay you for it. Doing that one time, people learn that lesson, right? People figure out pretty quickly, oh, I better not do that again. So as much as they want to argue with you or get defensive or that's not fair or, you know, I'm just trying to be nice. I didn't know. I mean, maybe you give it to them one time, but you know, give them the benefit of the doubt one time. But if it happens again, it's like, no, we talked about this. We, re- we re- went over it again. Sorry, but, you know, I'm not sorry. Like you did that on your own time and you're going to have to eat that cost. Right. So it, does that sound mean? Maybe. <laughs> well, I was thinking of what you were saying in a way because what I've thought about doing and, well, let me rephrase this. So I started to put together a subcontractor contract. Mm. Now I've got a I've got a a peer group where we've been discussing this on how to how to handle that, and some of the people in our group are like, "You can't do that, you can't make them sign something." I'm like, "Why not?" And some of that language could help alleviate some of these types of scenarios where in the contract, you know, you are not to go outside of the scope of work that you're given. Mm-hmm. That sounds simple and fair. Exactly. I think you can, I mean, I don't know why somebody would say you can't put that in a contract. That seems like a very normal business arrangement, right? With a subcontractor. This is within, this is what we're doing. This is the nature of our arrangement. You know, here are the, here are the, laying it out as clearly as possible alleviates a lot of questions and a lot of problems later. And people sometimes only learn that, like you said, maybe the hard way where it's like, oh, I didn't realize I needed to have a contract and I, I, you know, I right. feel like I got screwed or I had to pay out this extra money. But, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? If I don't learn from that situation and 
change my process to do something different next time, then that's on me, you know, that I didn't, it's not my fault that the guy or the person didn't respect me and didn't know, but it is my fault the next time it happens if I wasn't clear. I think you just said a word that I was thinking, but not verbalizing the the term respect. Mm. So in a lot of cases where we may subcontract, we may subcontract a bigger organization to assist us. And they may feel that their guidance should override our guidance. Now, I, I'll be honest, I've actually, I mean, I, I subcontract both sizes. I contract solo techs under me and some larger organizations under me. I've not made anybody yet sign the subcontractor agreement, but it's 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 ready there. Just because I don't I don't want that to be an issue. Um, large companies are going to respect me just as much as anybody else. Just the way I expect my customers to respect me. So, I think that's probably one of the reasons that some of those people were like, "You can't do that." Where they're thinking they can't tell somebody bigger than them. Here are my my rules of conduct. I guess. Mm, right. Well, again, it's it's always a two-way street, right? Especially these business arrangements. Each person could say, this doesn't work for me, you know, and, and you could find somebody else, hopefully. But it's, you know, we don't want to feel like we're taking hostages. We don't want to feel like we're a hostage to someone else's business, right? Or to a customer. That's never a good feeling. So, so the respect piece is the opposite of that, right? It's like, it's saying, you know, you have your rights and I have my rights and I want to, I want this to work out. And here's the way, the best way I found that it'll work is if we have these agreements between each other and then we, it's just really clear for both of us. If it works for you, great. I'd love to work with you. And if this doesn't work for you, let me know now before there's a potential problem. So again, that takes more time on the front end, which is, again, that's the theme of being assertive. It takes a little bit more time on the front end. Right. But it eliminates so many difficulties later on. And that's what people don't always see as the benefit right away. And so they tend to just feel, want to just do it the old way because they don't realize, they don't see the benefits coming right away. It just seems like a lot of extra work, but it'll, it'll flatten out and, and you'll see the benefits, you know, eventually. All right. So you mentioned the, the, the concept that a lot of this takes work up front. Sometimes it, in a sense, is over communicating because you're you're going out of your way to to do that up front. Um, can you under communicate? Which I'm saying in a way that's different than passive leadership. Because even if you're assertive, can you under communicate? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, you can't. Okay. I would I would say the only person who could under communicate is a is a passive person. Okay. They're just not saying enough. They're not saying they're you know, every relationship is 50-50. So they're not saying they're 50% to make sure the other person's in agreement with them. So somebody who somebody who's a, aggressive would over-communicate in the way that they're trying to tell the other person what to do and think and reach over onto their side, right? Into their 50%. So someone who's assertive meets the other person in the middle. Okay. So there's no way to over or under communicate when you're being assertive. Even if you're trying to pull the passive person? 
<laughs> to the fifty percent? You're like, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a yeah, I mean, I'm stopping at fifty. Are you going to come meet me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to think about whether this person is a good partner. Then, if they're not going to meet you halfway, you know, you you can be turned. This is a, that's actually a really good point. You can start to act more aggressive. Even if you want to stay assertive, when someone's being passive, you will want to bring, reach over and bring them to the middle. And that's, that happens actually a lot in like romantic relationships. I'll be honest, you know, where somebody kind of is more passive and, and pulled back and reserved. And the other person wants to hear from them and wants to know about them and starts, starts to try to get that information and it ends up seeming like, they're so controlling or they're just so in their face all the time, but it's really because the, the passive person holds back too much that the other person kind of starts to develop something else. So that's a longer conversation. Say, you're, but, you're drifting back into family therapy. Days. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> to your point though, passive people are difficult, right? Cause you can't, you can't make them move. They have to move themselves. Interesting. And when people try to make them move, they get outside of their own assertiveness and it becomes a conflict. I've okay, that's a new way of thinking. I I thought that if you nudged a passive person enough, they would they would move, but you're saying that they could actually be at a point where they don't want to move. They they have their own autonomy, right? They can decide what they want to do. And yeah, you can use some tactics or there's definitely ways to phrase things that couldn't in inspire people to move closer to you and want them to connect with you more. Um, but at the end of the day, it's their decision. So you could use language that's more connective and things like that. Like, I really hope this works out. I hope we can work together. I'd love working with you. I'd love to work with you more. Please get back to me, you know, whatever, if they're, you're not hearing from them. Right. But ultimately they make the final decision if they want to meet you halfway or not. All right. How's your clock? Great. Because I have another question. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So if 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 you're in a situation where somebody is in that scenario, how can you tell if they're being passive or if they're being stubborn? Hmm. I mean, there's not much difference ultimately. Okay. Stu- stubborn is passiveness on overdrive, right? Stubborn is the end result of many, many, many passive experiences. Okay. So it's, they're sim- they're the same, but one is a less intense form. Okay. Right? So stubborn is not a part of the aggressive style um, because that, that's where I thought stubborn would be. Mm-hmm. Stubborn is going to be that overbearing, stubborn, right. my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that stubborn could also be, yeah, I'm not going to say anything. So this is your this is very advanced <laughs> and I'm I'm very impressed that you're putting this together because essentially it's a circle. Oh. So if you get what if you get too far in the passive realm, you're going to hit the aggressive realm. They're two sides of the same coin, really. Okay. But they they end up looking alike at the most extreme versions. So yes, both aggressive people and passive people are very stubborn in being stuck in their own beliefs about what they want to do or not do. So ultimately they're two sides of the same coin. They're the same, but they look different on the outside, but their end results can look 
very much the same. All right. I'm just sorry. I'm just, I'm ready in notes. I can remind the Are listeners. Are you giving yourself a gold star too? Because that, that was an amazing listeners need to know, that you made. Yes. They need to know I'm advanced. So. <laughs> you are so advanced. All right. So in a sense, we're looking at this. So instead of this being like a spectrum or a flat line or four boxes mm-hmm. that we're used to seeing, it's a circle, mm-hmm. the circle of life. Mm-hmm. You can kind of be anywhere along the circle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. And, you know, I will say that nobody can be quiet forever. That quiet or passive people, we call they're they're more akin, akin to like a pressure cooker mm-hmm. where the pressure, the pre, they're, they're staying quiet, staying quiet, staying quiet, staying quiet. And all of a sudden Boom. they explode. Right. And then they're super aggressive. So they become the thing that you thought that they weren't over time. And that's the circle idea again, right? So they go so far on one direction that they end up turning into the other direction or turning into the other thing. And then they might go back into that sort of quieter pattern and keep quiet and then they explode again. And so that's a, you know, again, you don't know where you stand with those people. It's tough to work with them because you don't know if they're on the edge of an explosion or if they just had one and they're quiet now. They, there's some time you have before they explode again. You just don't know. Wow. So it sounds yeah, like a tricky. sounds like a episode of Criminal Minds or a movie. Mm-hmm. Lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Something very dysfunctional. Yes. <laughs> oh my. All right. Well, I want to thank mm-hmm. you for going a little bit over. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, I don't I don't like to stop in the middle of thoughts and leave things hanging. We are gonna. Uh, have another session. If you did listen to the first part of this, uh, we said that there is going to be a live show where Karen is going to come back and hopefully we'll be able to get some questions answered live. That will be Wednesday, February 14th at the regular time, 8 p.m. Eastern. And of course, in the meantime, you can go check out her website, karennab.com and you can sign up for a discovery call and see if she can help you. And it's, uh, it's phrased very effectively on your website. Don't let poor communication and unresolved conflict cost your business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really, I really love doing this. You're a great person to ch- chat with this stuff about. And I look forward to our next conversation as well. well. I am advanced. You said it. <laughs> Gold star. Gold star. <laughs> All right, folks, thank you very much for downloading and subscribing to this episode. Uh, Head over to itbusinesspodcast.com. Make sure you check one of the podcatchers and always be notified when we have an episode drop. And, of course, you can visit us as well Wednesday evenings, 8 p.m. live. And you can uh, catch us on YouTube, LinkedIn, or the Facebook. So, Karen, thanks for hanging out. Thanks, Marv. So great to be here. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. And until then, holla.